Texas Tech is looking to complete a season sweep against Baylor. They got the win in Waco. Now they'll try and do it at the USA. That's coming up tonight. Baylor versus Texas Tech. We give our predictions and keys to the game coming up on today's Locked On Texas Tech. You are Locked On Texas Tech. Your daily podcast on the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Texas Tech, a member of the Locked On Podcast Network. Thanks for making Locked On Texas Tech your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. I'm Ryan Mainville. I cover Texas Tech for the Dallas Morning News, and I'm joined by Emery Lida, a longtime Texas Tech analyst, writer, and podcaster. Today we are talking all things Baylor. Obviously, the Red Raiders got one of their most noteworthy wins in program history when they took down number one Baylor on their home court in Waco. And now they're going to look to complete the season sweep by getting a win at the USA on Wednesday night. It won't be easy, though. Beating this Baylor team once is never easy, and so doing it twice will be quite the challenge. In fact, Emery, trivia time. How old was I the last time Texas Tech completed the season sweep against Baylor? Hmm. Well, I know they haven't done it since before Chris Beard was coach. Um, they didn't do it in 2016 either. They won on the road there. Um, I'm going to hope that 2014 maybe swept. Um, so I, I don't was, know. Uh, I was four years old, man. Texas oh, Tech has not swept Baylor in a season series since 2005. I was two years old then, so. And there have been some rough Baylor teams across the years, man. I mean, what Scott Drew has done with this program is really remarkable, but that just goes to show you just how good this Baylor team is and how difficult it is to win two games against anybody in the Big 12 Conference, and this Baylor team is no different. They have not been perfect as they looked early in the year. They've been battling certainly a number of injuries, some COVID stuff once again. Um, but man, this team this team has been good. Um, they've they've been reliably good. I think they hit a bit of a hurdle against Texas Tech. That next game against Oklahoma State was probably uh, their worst loss of the season, just in terms of quality. Uh, just what they did in that game against Oklahoma State and the way that the Cowboys gave their offense so much grief was just really, really ugly. I could not believe what I was watching most of that game. Then they came back and won three in a row. Um, against really the lower tier of the Big 12, WVU, Oklahoma, and Kansas State. Then they lost in their SEC Big 12 Challenge against Alabama. Um, One against West Virginia by four points before they got thrashed by Kansas in Fog Allen. Um, That's probably their worst loss in terms of on-paper appearance, but as we know, Kansas is a very good team. And then coming into Lubbock, they've won two in a row by 15-plus points. They blew out Kansas State, and they destroyed Texas on Saturday. So this is a Baylor team that's had their ups, and they've had their downs. Obviously, they've been battling injuries and inconsistencies, but still a team that has plenty in their tank to beat you on any given night. Yeah, the last time Tech Tech hasn't crossed 60 points against Baylor at home since 2019. The last two home games, 
the first one was a 57-52 just dog fight that Baylor came out on top. And at the time, people really didn't respect Baylor nationally all that much. They were a top 10 team, if I remember correctly, but they this was before they'd had the COVID year where they really looked good. And then before, obviously, their national championship season. So you were kind of maybe a little bit of doubts there, but Baylor is one of two teams in the big in the Chris Beard Mark Adams era that has gone to Texas Tech and has won on back-to-back years while being ranked and while both teams have been ranked. So this is a matchup that has been marquee in years past, and Tech has really had the shorthand against Baylor at home, and that's the one thing that you would say is a little bit questionable, but certainly the game in Waco was probably the best of the year for Tech in terms of a resume builder and probably one of really the turning point for Baylor. Obviously, you had the Oklahoma State loss afterwards, and even before then, Baylor looked a little bit vulnerable early on in Big 12 play, but they really just haven't refound their mojo until this past weekend against Texas. And, I mean, for me, until about four days ago, I was really looking at this game pretty favorably from Tech's standpoint, and even now to some degree I am, but I feel like Baylor sort of found their rhythm again, and especially at the guards against Texas and offensively, they just put on a show in that one. Yeah. And I mean, what their offense is doing is really impressive right now in conference play. They are the best big 12 three point shooting team at about 35% per game. That's not exceptional, but they are taking about 22 per game, which man, if you can make, if you can make, you know, eight shots at night from deep, you're, you're in good, good shape. Pretty much anybody, but actually a Texas tech team doesn't necessarily use the perimeter and then they're really, really good on the offensive glass. I think that's been the one thing that I've really noticed since conference play took off. Obviously, with JTT um, going down with a season-ending injury, that's going to hurt their offensive rebounding numbers quite a bit. But I thought that that was a big thing for them as well. Um, a couple of other things to look at. They are really the fastest team in the Big 12 right now, taking about 58 shots per conference game, which is pretty incredible. Um, just the way that they've adapted into kind of more of a high-paced running gun offense and are just getting stuff done but across the board this is a Baylor team that has a lot on both ends I mean they're fourth in Kim Palm right now um, seventh in adjusted offense and 13 in adjusted defense and so they've got a really good balance on both ends of the floor they can beat you with their offense they can beat you with their defense and I think that Texas Tech really in that first win um, just shot the ball really, really well. If you look at kind of the analytic game scores of these games, it doesn't really look like Texas Tech did anything exceptional. They just kind of came out and went. In fact, really the only thing that sticks out like a sore thumb on this on this graded box score is the fact that Texas Tech had their worst free throw shooting night of the year in terms of just rate. They got to the free throw line at a rate of just 12.7%, which is abysmally low and by far the lowest Texas Tech has had on the season. So Red Raiders, I'm sure, will not be looking to repeat that performance, even though the free throw line has not been a friend of theirs this season. But nonetheless, Texas Tech has found a bit of a rhythm after a couple of bad losses, Um, a a loss against Oklahoma, obviously, which was noteworthy. But Baylor, man, they're, they're as dangerous as ever. Yeah, for Tech, I think the TCU game on Saturday was absolutely critical for coming into this one because I think you kind of learned a couple of things. Obviously, for one, they put TCU was able to push the pace a lot in the first half. I believe they ended up playing 73 possessions, which was the most that Tech has played in a regulation game all year. And 
I think you could see a similar thing with Baylor, especially without JTT, without kind of the ability to rely on the offensive glass as much. You know that they have really young athletic wings and Kendall Brown and Jeremy Sutton, which we'll talk more about. But one of those guys wasn't there for the last game or the last game against Tech. And so Baylor's a team that has athleticism to kind of get out and run. Certainly, if the three-point shooting that TCU showed in the first half in the Oklahoma game in general continues on the defensive side of things, that's going to be a rough night. But, I mean, Tech needed that TCU game from an offensive standpoint. And I feel like this is a case of both teams kind of starting to get back right at the right time. I think you've seen Baylor ever since the loss against Kansas where they got absolutely demolished now in Fieldhouse. The last couple of games they've looked a lot more smooth, a lot more refined offensively, and obviously on Tech's end. To me, they're coming off of their best offensive performance in Big 12 play against TCU, and that speaks volume volumes about this team. And for coming into this game, a game, like I mentioned earlier, where you've struggled to beat Baylor at home and score more than about 60 points the last couple of years, to be able to come off of one of your best offensive performances of the year, it's really important, and I think it's going to be a pretty major factor in this one. Yeah, and I mean, I think a big part of that is figuring out who you're going to have on the court, and that goes for both teams. We're going to take a look at some individual players on each side and who's wrestling with injuries coming up in our next segment, but first a word from our sponsors. This is the time of year that I've pretty much given up on all my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right thanks to Built Bar. It almost feels like it's not a resolution because I actually enjoy eating Built Bar products. Have you tried the Puffs? If you haven't, you're missing out on one of Built Bar's best-tasting bars. Puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're not just a protein bar. They are truly a treat, and they are covered in 100% real chocolate. Puffs are a fan favorite with some incredible flavors like churro, coconut marshmallow, and banana cream pie. These are going to be your new favorite. They are low in calorie, high in protein. Be sure to replace your candy bars with these. They are better, trust me, not just in terms of flavor, but also in the macros. You can see those at Built.com. You're going to be blown away. They are high in protein low calorie, high fiber, and low carb. So go to built.com to get your hands on some today. Thanks for making Locked On Texas Tech your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. We're here talking Baylor-Texas Tech rematch. Baylor will look to even the season series while Texas Tech will be looking for their first sweep against Baylor for the first time in 17 years. Quite a stretch there, but uh, man, I feel like the story really for both of these teams all season long has been injuries and finding consistencies. Um, as you've just kind of had to adapt a next man up mentality. Obviously, we've seen that in moments from Texas Tech where it's really favored them. Uh, really, I mean, the first game against Baylor was an instance of that where, you know, Adonis Harms played probably the best game of his career against Baylor in um, the absence of Terrence Shannon Jr. Obviously, Texas Tech had the win against Kansas without McCullough or Shannon. And Baylor right now is just adjusting and finding some rhythm without a couple of their players. So we mentioned JTT. Obviously, going down for the season against Texas, he suffered a really, really ugly knee injury. Um, it was just hard to watch. You know, you, you just feel for a guy like that whenever you see him witness um, an injury like that. So Baylor will be without one of their best big men for the remainder of the season, which is obviously a huge loss for them. And then I think another big, big story is LJ Cryer, who has missed the last few games. He's Baylor's leading scorer, and he is listed as a game-time decision in this one. Um, he's a really, really good player, man, was shooting the lights out of the ball before he went down with injury, shooting about like 48% from deep in conference play, which is just nuts. And I mean, no no shortage of attempts either, was just 
shooting so efficiently from the free throw line as well. Man, I, I feel like Cryer is going to be a big, big loss for them if he's not available in this game. And I think that really may be one of the main swing factors of what happens in this game is whether Cryer will give it a go or not. Yeah, and Baylor's two most recent losses both came in the stretch that Cryer's missed this year. And it really sucks for them because they've had Adam Flagler kind of dealing with a nagging injury. He missed one game a few games ago and hasn't been really 100% lately. Obviously, they just lost JTT, and really, right after, right before Cryer came down, they were just getting back Jeremy Sochin, who missed the Tech game initially. So they've kind of been without a variety of guys throughout conference play, and it's similar to what Tech has had. I mean, on Tech's end, you could say, well, TJ Shannon missed a month with a back injury. You had Kevin McCuller having an ankle injury during that time. You had another injury with – or an, another issue with the whole COVID situation. You had Malik Wilson – having a foot injury, then everyone kind of gets back. And then suddenly you have arms and TJ getting hurt again in West Virginia. And the question goes along that both guys look healthy again. And then finally you have Kevin McCuller have an ankle injury against TCU. So it's really just been a revolving door of injuries for both of these teams. Hopefully Cryer's good enough to give it a go for Baylor's sake, because they've really missed his absolutely electric scoring ability off the bench. And, that's the one thing. They do have still the trio of guards with him, Akinjo, and Flagler as their guards. But at the end of the day, not having Cryer, Cryer's probably the most dynamic shooter that they have on the roster. And probably among the entire conference, you're talking about a guy that was shooting 48% in conference play from three, upwards of 46% from overall from three. Was doing it on a decent diet of difficult shots as well. It wasn't just like all wide open spot ups. I mean, at the end of the day, you're still talking about someone that hit about 18% of his shots unassisted, which isn't a lot, but it shows that he wasn't just getting those catch-and-shoot threes. So you have probably their best three-point creator on the team that isn't there if he isn't able to play, and they just lost JTT. So you have sort of that door of injuries, and it just makes things difficult to kind of project on their end. But Certainly, this is still a team that has the depth to compete. They've just kind of struggled at times to get lineups set up and get everything going, given how many, how much turnover there's been on the roster throughout the year. Yeah, and as I mentioned, I mean, that that's really the story for this game for both teams, is who's going to be suited up, who's going to be fully healthy, who's going to give it a go. I mean, Cryer obviously listed as a game-time decision right now, but so is Kevin McCuller, and so we will see if he will try a go after he rolled his ankle on Jamie Dixon's foot. Obviously, McCuller was a huge, huge part of that win against Baylor and Waco, and Texas Tech would gladly welcome him back with open arms. On Baylor's side, a guy that has been really, really good in Cryer's absence has been James Akinjo. You know, we talked a little bit about him in our preview earlier in the season, but we've got to circle back around talk a little bit about what he's been doing for Baylor recently. Um, has just really assumed so many of Cryer's minutes and has been like so good and then so bad for one game. Um, what I'm referencing here is in the game against West Virginia, he played all but one minute and he scored 25 points, had his best shooting night by far the season, made four or seven threes. That's not his game as at all. Is not really a great shooter, but he was lightening up from deep, seven of eight from the free throw line and was really the, the reason that they won that game. And then at the fog, he was 0 for 11 from the field, played just 24 minutes. He couldn't even stay on the court because he was such a liability to their offense and had three turnovers. Um, 
just a really head scratching performance. And then he comes back this week and he wins Big 12 Newcomer of the Week. He's got 15 points against Kansas State and Texas, has 15 assists to four turnovers over that stretch, and is 11 11 from the free throw line and is averaging about 36 and a half minutes per game. So, I mean, those are those are two blowout wins where a guy is playing 36 and a half minutes per game, which would tell you all you need to know about how important Akinjo has been to this Baylor team in, in Cryer's absence. And he had a really good performance against Texas Tech as well. He was really the guy that was keeping Baylor in the fight in that one. He had 17 against Texas Tech in that first matchup in Baylor. And that was despite going one of eight from deep. And so that just tells you, man, this guy knows how to get the ball in the basket. He was playmaking really well for Baylor in that game against Texas Tech. And that 17 points, he had not matched that until he scored 25 against West Virginia just the other week. And so Akinjo is a guy that gave you a little bit of grief in that first performance. And he's definitely the guy that I think is really the biggest threat on, on Baylor's sideline for this game. Because even if Cryer is is playing, I'm not sure to what degree he truly is healthy. But the way that Akinjo has scored and distributed the last two games has been nothing short of really, really impressive. Yeah, sometimes I think Akinjo's worst enemy is himself. I mean, he is a really dynamic scorer when he gets things going, and he can find teammates well. He's a pretty smart offensive player for the reputation he gets, but at the same time, I mean, some of his decisions can just... He puts himself into trouble. I think the game in the fog, he got rattled. I mean... That over 11 line is absolutely gnarly, and he's one of he's literally one of seven players the entire in the entire nation across the whole season to have a game where he attempted at least 10 shots and didn't make a single one and didn't have a single point. So, I mean, man, Akinjo, he's a weapon, but at the same time, it can kind of go either way because he certainly shot Baylor out of a couple of games, and it wasn't just the KU game. He's had his inconsistencies throughout the season, and I think that. That's something that's just been a product of his game, both at Baylor and then in his previous stops when he went to Arizona and then obviously in Georgetown. It's just kind of who he is at this point because in the Oklahoma State game as well, he had a one of eight game and that was right after a tech game where he looked good. So you'd never know what you're going to really get for him. I think for me, I've always been more of an Adam Flagler guy on this team just because I feel like his game is more consistently translatable and he's not quite as prone to as many ups and downs as Akinjo had. And I feel like he's really starting to finally kind of find himself again. He had been sort of dealing with the nagging injury before the West Virginia game that he set out. But the last three games, he's been able to be really efficient outside of the trip to Kansas State. You look at his game against Kansas, he was kind of the lone bright spot on that team. And then against Texas over the weekend, he lit up he lit it up from three again, going four or five. So Flagler's really interesting. Obviously, Cryer, if he plays, I think he'd probably be on a bit of a minutes limit and probably won't be quite as effective. And Akinjo's just a complete box of chocolates. You don't know what you're going to get. So we'll see how it goes. I think Akinjo's game in the first in the first match up against these two gets a little bit overlooked just because he was the guy that took the last shot and people kind of got on him for the supposed mistake he did for trying to isolate against text bigs and continuously go against the pressure they were giving him and still throw up a three. So, I mean, I think that that masks a pretty good performance on his end and we'll see. He's certainly got the talent to beat tech. I just wonder if he has the consistency to be able to put it all together for this game. Yeah. I mean, it really depends on what kind of night he's going to have and that's going to determine really a lot 
of how Baylor is going to perform. You mentioned Flagler. That's a guy that's scored in double figures for seven straight games now. And so he's definitely stepping up and, and finding a bit of a consistent role for this team. Um, we're pressed on time for this segment. Is there anybody else that you really want to quickly run over? I mean, Kendall Brown has been pretty good um, in conference play. Matthew Mayer obviously is giving Baylor consistent minutes, um, not shooting the ball as well as he has in the past, but has been pretty good on the glass. Other than that, those are, those are the two guys that I really think are worth noting, at least on my end. Yeah, I think the one thing with Mayer is just kind of how consistent will he be defensively. And depending on if Cryer gives it a go, I could see Dale Bonner getting some minutes at kind of the third or fourth guard. That's a good point. That's a good point. And I think even with Akinjo, um, if Cryer's out, he'll play probably 40 minutes all 40 in this game, depending on, on how it goes for him to average 36 and a half over two games where Baylor won by double digits uh, tells me all I need to know. And so I think you really got to watch the guards in this one. But other than that, we will bring our rest of our keys to the game in our next segment. Football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops from all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land. BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds right to the Olympic coverage and information. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Texas Tech, Baylor, final game of the season series against these two teams. Um, obviously Texas Tech with the huge, huge win in Waco earlier in the season. They'll look to do it again on their home court. We mentioned in our last segment just how good the guards are on this team. I think even if Cryer isn't playing, um, this is a team that you've got to give every single ounce of respect to in terms of the perimeter. Um, They've just got a really, really good thing going, and you've got to use your length to your advantage. I think that's one of my keys to the game. It's just using your length to your advantage. Force them into difficult shots. Um, Baylor, obviously, is, is a good three-point shooting team. Um, and, you know, they're, they're best in the conference right now, arguably. But I thought Texas Tech did a pretty good job at limiting what was available to them um, outside of Flagler in that first matchup. Uh, Baylor went 8 of 24 in that game. And Adam Flagler had 5 of 8 of those threes in that game. So, um, he's a ridiculous shot maker. I think that he's got really good ability to score in multiple situations. But if you're Texas Tech, you're you're really looking to make them work for every single bucket that they get. You don't want to send them to the free throw line a lot. Obviously, they prevented you from doing that in the last game. You had just seven free throws. And so you look to return the favor a little bit. And then I think just keep your hands active. Don't get anybody into foul trouble. But Stay alongside these guards. I mean, you're lengthy enough and you're athletic enough to give them issues. Now, obviously, you've got to stay disciplined and you've got to be able to move your feet and you've got to be able to switch well, especially in pick and roll coverages. But in terms of length, I think the advantage is definitely to Texas Tech. And I think it's something that they could really use on the defensive end to put themselves at an advantage. Yeah, for me, it all boils down offensively to being able to work the ball into the paint. Baylor's not been a particularly great two-point defense throughout conference play. They're allowing about 52% on those looks. And more than that, they're losing JTT, which is kind of an integral part of how they've been doing their rim protection and sort of kind of limits what they can do from a big standpoint. But certainly I think the inside and getting it to Bryson Williams and even having 
good cutters is something that Tech can really utilize because the half-court offense in the second half of the Baylor game in Waco was something that Tech really utilized well. And you had guys like Clarence Sandomli being really effective off of cuts. You had Adonis Arms kind of having a breakout game on his end. So certainly being able to exploit their rim protection and sort of struggles defending from within the three-point line is going to be something that's critical. And then along with that, just making sure that you're rotating well because Baylor has the weapons to absolutely light it up from three. Whether or not Cryer's playing or not, you're still going to have to defend against guys like Flagler, Akinjo, and even a guy like Matthew Meyer. Like All of them have the capability of being able to shoot consistently from deep. And even if it's not the same as last year's Baylor's team, they still are lethal offensively. And it's not just the ball handlers. They move well without the ball. They have multiple guys that have high feel offensively and can kind of run the offense. So there's a lot of things you have to keep track of defensively. So just staying on top of things and then offensively working it inside would be kind of the two major points for me. Yeah, I think really my last thought is just use your depth. I think that was a big point of emphasis for Texas Tech in the first game. I think they had five guys in double figures. Um, that's that's just huge to be able to move the ball around that well and you know distribute across the board. That's been a huge selling point for this team throughout the season, and I think that's definitely an advantage that you're going to have on most nights against anybody in the conference and really in the country is just how deep of a team you are. And obviously, we're never going to be rooting for injuries or celebrating them, but against a Baylor team that's banged up and you've got guys that are playing 35-plus minutes a night, that's something that you can use to give yourself some gas in the tank and to have some fresh legs out there on the court. That's a big, big part of winning games. But I'll say, Emory, man, as we approach kind of the final minutes of this podcast, I think that this is the hardest game that I've had to make a score prediction on this entire season. Are, are you with me or do you disagree? I think it's very difficult as well because you don't know exactly who's going to be available for either team. And you also don't know kind of just what you're going to get from a number of guys because both teams have had their inconsistencies. And it's not just not just talking about team-wide, but also like individuals. Like Kinjo's had his games where he struggled. TJ Shannon on Texan has had games where he struggled. Obviously, you've had Kevin O'Banner who's been ice cold at points. And it's just hard to project. And both teams have the talent to come out of here with a win. But, I mean, Baylor at their best is probably the best team in the nation. And Texas Tech at their best is probably top five team as well. So it's just hard to really get everything right and get an accurate view of this one. If Tech hadn't beat Baylor early in the season, and especially if they hadn't done it on their home court, I think it would be pretty easy for me to pick Baylor here. I mean, even with the USA advantage, this is just a really good team. But the fact that Texas Tech has shown that they are able to overcome this Baylor team makes me really, really just conflicted. But I've got to go with a Baylor win here, man. I just feel like Baylor has really found something the last few games with their offense. Obviously, Texas Tech has as well, but... The injury, the re-injury to Kevin McCuller feels really, really big. Has just been playing good basketball. Now, it doesn't mean that the season is over for Texas Tech. But it does mean that Texas Tech could be without one of their most valuable players and a guy that does so much outside of the box score and in the box score and did so much, especially in that first Baylor game. And so I've got to go Baylor. I don't feel good about it at all. Again, this is the most difficult score prediction I feel like I've made. Um, in a long, long time, and I, I could easily see myself going um, the other way in a few in a few hours, and I wouldn't be surprised if I'm wrong come tonight. But 
for right now, my gut is telling me Baylor, and I'll go low scoring, kind of teetering teetering around the the factoid that you've been sharing. I'll go Baylor winning sixty one to fifty nine. Tech Tech doesn't cross sixty. Man, I had the exact same score, just a flipped outcome. I had Tech winning sixty one to fifty nine, um, but I'll add an extra point just so we don't have exactly matching scores. I'll say sixty two fifty nine. I'll say, I mean, this is ridiculously difficult. I think the one thing that goes in Tech's favor that wasn't the case the last couple of times that Baylor has played on your home court is these guys, Akinjo's had games where he's been absolute an absolute liability. You don't know what you're going to get from Cryer. And Flagler has been hot at points, but he's also not really their lead guy, which I think I mean, personally, if I was building this Baylor team, I would have Adam Flagler as the feature guy on offense. And I've maybe been vocal on that at points. I don't really know, like, in terms of just how much Scott, Scott Drew's kind of played around with that. But for me, he's far and away their most, their highest potential guard. So in the role that he plays, I just can't see a hot Flagler night necessarily being, like, the end of the world for Tech. And, I mean, it just has that feeling, you know, like, playing in the USA, it's a in an environment where Tech has been extremely good offensively this year. And that's a key difference from years past is in the last two years, Tech has not had that kind of split between home and road games where they've been so much better offensively at home. And I just see that continuing just enough for Tech to be able to eke out a win. It's going to be close, man. It can go either way. I think the first half is going to be a real slugfest. It's been that way pretty much any time these teams match up outside of the one game where Macy O.C. had like 10 threes and Kyler Edwards went off and you had like an 88-73 score. But generally speaking, games against these two teams, it's low scoring. I expect it to continue. But I think Tech's going to come out on top. I just think you have so many factors going in your way that's going to make the difference in a close game. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a coin flip for me right now. I think the game, the line opened as a pickup. I think Texas Tech is about a one-and-a-half point favorite right now. Um, Bart Torvik, the analytics projection that Emory and I use most commonly, has Tech projected as a 0.9 point favorite right now. So not even a full point favorite, but um, Bart Torvik also has them listed as a 67-66 to 66 victory, which would be quite a bit of scoring from Texas Tech, but they've really found their rhythm on the offensive end at home, as you mentioned. Um, but really, a, a coin flip for me right now, and... I, I do hope that I'm wrong because I think that Texas Tech definitely has the ability to win this game. Um, it's just, it, it's really a matter of what happens tonight and seeing what Texas Tech team we get and what Baylor team we get. But thank you all for tuning into our coverage of the Baylor game. Um, we hope that if you're in the USA that you would enjoy it, make some noise. Um, I see that many of you are camping out um, and the weather looks kind of nasty right now, and so I hope that you all stay safe, eat some good food, take care of each other, be good. In the meantime, um, you can let us know if you need anything. You can keep up with us on Twitter. You can follow me at LBK. You can follow Emory at Eraser41, and you can follow the official Locked On Texas Tech Twitter page at Locked On TTU. This is a great, great way for you to communicate with us. Let us know what you like about the show. Let us know what you don't like. Um, I was talking on Red Raider Sports this week about um, just people that think my voice is boring. And that was that was some great feedback to get, man. I needed to know that I could use um, a couple slaps in the face before we record each episode. But now I'm feeling amped. 
um, Emery's roommate walking into the room also gets me really excited to record this episode. And so I hope that my excitement is just seeping through the microphone today, but we'll be back on our next episode um, Thursday morning after we record late Wednesday night after hopefully a Texas Tech victory. Thanks for making Locked On Texas Tech your first listen every day. Now be sure to make your second listen Locked On Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked On Bets, hosted by your boy Key with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available on all platforms. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you tomorrow.